And so uh, if you've been with us for July, we've been uh, just looking at different questions that you submitted. We asked for, for uh, six, eight weeks if you submit questions that you have, and we've been going through and working through. Today is going to be a little bit different. Uh, most of the weeks, uh, a couple of them, we kind of put a couple questions together, but most of them we kind of zeroed in on one. Today I'm going to answer three different questions, so kind of three short kind of sermonettes, three very different questions, but they all do go together in some ways. And so I'm going to kind of work our way through that. Uh, it's funny, last week, as I was thinking about this week, it was going to be five questions. And then by about Thursday, it was four questions. And then yesterday, it's now three questions because just the time to be able to get through them. And I want to give the time that they deserve. But I do want to say to you that some of the questions that people have asked have been really great that we're not going to get to in this uh, sermon series. Over the next couple months, what I want to do is just write short responses to those that we'll include in the e-news each week. And so maybe over the next two months or so, some of those questions we didn't get to, we'll go ahead and put in there so you can read those. And so hopefully we get to all those questions and we answer those. And as always, if there's something that we didn't answer or we didn't get to or we tried or I tried to answer and it wasn't completely clear, please come talk to me. I'd love to talk to you about them and make sure that we're clarifying where those questions are. We always want to be a place where your questions are welcome and we want there's no bad questions and we want to have everything come under the truth of God's word. And so that said, I'm going to jump right in because we've got three different ones today. I want to make sure we get to all of them. The first question is this. Does the Bible address the issue of God spoke to me? God sent me a vision. God spoke to me in a dream. And so that was one of the questions. If that's the case, uh, does the Bible kind of give us some, some boundaries or some thoughts on that to think that way? But then the second question that was a little different, but coming right at the same thing was, what should I do when someone is saying to me, God told me this, and then they're telling you that? How should I handle that? And how should I look at that? And so those are good questions. Those are good things to wrestle with and to ask. And so as we start big picture, if you read through the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament both, you will consistently see God speaking to people all the way through. You see God speaking in visions. You see him speaking in dreams. You see him speaking audibly. You see him speaking in a burning bush. You see him speaking through angels. You see God talking and revealing himself to people in a whole lot of different ways. And so I think you can say very clearly when I ask that question that God speaks and does he do that? And is it? Yeah, we see him do that a whole lot in the Bible. But I think the question or part of the heart of one of those questions anyway was the idea, but does God still do that today? Does he still speak to us in those ways? Does he still speak to you maybe in a dream or can God show you different things in different ways? And does he speak to us like that? And how should we think about that? And within the church, Bible believing Christians that are professing Jesus, there's a whole range in the way people look at that. On one far end, there's some that would say, well, no, God doesn't do that at all anymore. And it's only through his word and nothing else. And he doesn't speak to us in those ways at all. And then I think on the other far end might be that God does speak to us and he speaks to us all the time in every way and every place. And then everything in between. And so how should we look at that? How should we think about that? And so I had a professor, and you've probably heard me say this if you've been around Church of the Apostles for any amount of time. I had one of my favorite professors in seminary said, we always want to land in the center of the biblical tension. And what he meant is like the Bible says some different things at different times. And you go, how do we hold those things together? And I think they perfectly do go together. But we want to be careful to take all of what scripture says and land in the center of that biblical ground. And so to the question, God revealing himself in visions or dreams or speaking to us or in those ways, does God still do that? And I think he does. I think God does speak to us in different ways. 
But I think he also, as we read through scripture, there's a clear demarcation between God's word that he inspired through the apostles and he gave us to us. That is what we hold in our hands as the Bible. And God completed that and he did that. And that is our authority over all else. But then it does say that Jesus gives us and sends us the Holy Spirit that's with us and never leaves us and forsakes us and teaches us and leads us and guides us. And so he is still talking to us. But when we start to take those two things and we put them together, I want to just give you some kind of guardrails to think about that. The first part that I would just say is God's word, as he's revealed it to us in the Bible, stands over everything else. It's our authority over all else. And so I want to be careful when we start to say, well, God told me or God spoke to me because you can get on some kind of shaky ground real quickly where something that you're feeling like God's telling you or showing you that you're now putting it on par with God's word that he's revealed to us in the Bible. And those things should always come underneath his word, always. And God tells us that and he clearly tells us that in scripture. And so I want you to think about this in a couple of ways. One is the Bible, what the Bible tells us is that it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, right? What we hold in our hands is, is the Holy Spirit carried men along and he inspired the very words. And God did that through his prophets and through these apostles that were there and were eyewitnesses and he used them in this way. Second Peter one says that, that God spoke through men as he carried them along in the Holy Spirit and he's given us his word. And so we should see the Bible in that way that it's inspired and it's uniquely inspired to show us exactly what God's like and to give us everything we need for faith and practice in the way that we approach him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the apostle Paul says, if anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. And if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. And Paul says that everything should come under God's word. And so the first thing when we start to think about, well, did God tell you this? Or is he leading you this or leading you to this? Or he's giving you a vision or a dream or you feel like God's leading you in those ways. It always will come under his word. He's never going to contradict himself. So, you know, real quickly, if somebody says, God told me, and then the next thing they say is in direct contradiction to God's word, God didn't tell them. That's, that's the marker and the test. And it's always going to be in alignment with what God's word says. And so it tells that and it tells us that very clearly. And so when you read through in the New Testament, sometimes it'll talk like Paul says there, if anyone thinks he is a prophet or he is spiritual or they have a word of prophecy. And it talks about prophecy in the New Testament. And it talks about people coming with a word and saying these things. And Paul says, don't despise that. And you go, well, what is he talking about? I think there's this kind of third category of prophecy. You have one, the prophets, God's spoken man in the Old Testament or woman in the Old Testament that's speaking the words of God that he's given them. And then you have the apostles in the New Testament. There are eyewitnesses that Jesus makes this promise that I'm going to bring to mind everything I taught you and you're going to write this down and they're going to do that. And that's what we have in the New Testament. But then in the New Testament church, there seems to be this third category of kind of a word of prophecy, a word from the Lord. That's a timely word that's in accordance with his word, that's there, that's meant to build up the church and speak truth to each other and what God says. But it's always under the authority of scripture. And so here's the part that you need to think that first, it's always under God's word. It'll never contradict that. But then secondly, we need to be reminded that we are sinful people. When you put your faith in Jesus, you're a new creation and the spirit comes and dwells in you and he's made you alive spiritually. 
and you are a new creation. You have eyes to see in a way that you haven't seen before. God is moving and he is teaching. You open his word and he meets you in it. And the spirit is there with you. But you and I are not infallible. And there's times when you feel like God is leading and telling you something and showing something, but there's still my sinful flesh involved in that. And so when we start to think about God told me or God showed me this or God's doing these things, we always should carry that uh, with great humility. I would even say to you, this is not a blanket statement, and, but I would say even as you feel like God's leading you or showing you or teaching you or any of those things, to be careful in saying God told me, God said, or thus says the Lord, and you start to speak that way because of sinful, broken people, It's easy for our flesh to get involved. And so I think it's helpful to even frame that as I feel like God's leading me or God's showing me this. And then you have that and you take it under God's word. But then not only do you take it under God's word, but you seek wise counsel from the mature believing community. And the Bible tells you that. It's exactly what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He says, do not despise prophecies but test everything and hold fast to what is good. And so if you feel as God's leading you or he's speaking to you or he's giving you this word or he's, he's, he's giving you a dream. There's times in my life where I feel like God was showing me something in a dream. I don't know if that sounds weird to you, but I hold that and I go, ah, I'm not sure. I don't stand, I don't come here the next day and go, thus says the Lord because I had a dream. You bring that under God's word and you seek counsel from others and you hold that closely and you look at what scripture says. I'll give you an example. And this may sound weird at first, but let me let me explain. My brother, Jeremiah, is a pastor in Houston, Texas. And he's been a pastor there for about nine years, almost nine years of his church there in Houston that he helped plant. Before that, he was a youth pastor in Houston. And then he left his spot as a youth pastor in Houston to go to seminary just outside of Boston. And so about 15 years ago, Jeremiah calls me and it was late June. And he said, uh, I'm planning. I knew his plan. He was planning to go to seminary the following August. So 13 months from then. And he said, I feel like God's telling me I'm supposed to go to seminary this August, like six weeks from now. And I said, well, why? What's going on? He said, I've been praying about this for the last couple of weeks and I can't sleep and I have no peace over waiting And I feel like God's telling me. And he said, so I went for a run today. And I think God was speaking to me through my iPod. And I went, what? And he said, well, this is what happened. He said, I went out and I went to clear my head and I went running and I'm listening to my iPod as I run. And he said, every objection I have, everything that I prayed to God, the very next song was answering exactly what I was saying. He said, the first or second time you're like, okay, yeah, maybe, whatever. But he said, by the third and fourth, by the fifth song, he said, the fifth song, he said, I, I don't remember all the songs, but he told me every step of it. But I remember like the, la- the fifth song, he said, uh, I'm running and I'm saying, God, but yeah, but Houston's our home. And how do we move right now? And he said, the song switched. And the next song was, there's no home for you here. And at the time he said it was a kid from his youth ministry that put the song on his I- iPod. He said, I'd never even heard the song before. And he said, so it was like, okay, God, maybe. He said, the last one, he said, I got done with my run and I stepped into my driveway. And I said, God, I feel like I hear you and I feel like you're leading to me to this and that I should do this, but I don't know that I have enough faith. And he said, the next thing that came on was one of my own sermons. 
So Jeremiah hears his own voice and he said, I'm preaching on the Roman Roman centurion where Jesus is marveling at the people's lack of faith. And he said, it's my own voice talking about your lack of faith and doing the things that God's told you to do. And so Jeremiah said, am I crazy or is God speaking to me through my iPod? Now he's wanting to go to seminary. He's planning to go to seminary. It's just moving his timetable up. He's prayed about that a lot. He sought the wise counsel of the guys in his church and different things. He's called me. We're having this conversation. I said, it sure sounds like it. Sounds like he's leading to that. So what would keep you from doing that? And he said, school starts in six weeks. We would have to sell our house. We can't afford to go until we sell our house. It would have to happen and it'd have to happen before we move. And I said, okay, that's easy. List your house, right? Let's list your house and see what happens. And if God's leading you this, he'll provide the way. And he said, okay, that was a Sunday afternoon. The next Saturday, six days later, Jeremiah calls and he said, hey, we listed our house yesterday at noon. Our agent just left our house. We have a full offer and they want it in three weeks. I said, so go to seminary. Right? God was working in that. And I think God was speaking to him. And I think he was telling him. But I tell you that story because I think Jeremiah handled it correctly. Am I losing my mind? Is this what God's saying? Is it in alignment with what scripture says? Is it wise to follow what we're doing right now? Are we making the right steps? And he held it that way and he kept to make those steps in faith and God confirmed every one of them. And so I think God does speak to us, but it's always going to be under his word. It's always going to be in alignment with what he says. It's never going to contradict his word. And oftentimes God works through circumstances. You make those step of faith and he continues to confirm those things and you go, yes. And I think you can look back in hindsight and go, that was God saying that. I think God was speaking to him. I think he was telling him that. But I would just say to you, be careful that you'd make those steps coming under God's word as you do that, right? So that's the first question. I do think God speaks to us. I think he is still active and he's still in the business of doing that, but it's always going to come under his word. Second question goes to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, where we have the uh, requirements of an elder in the church. Right? And so in both those passages, First uh, Timothy and in Titus, Paul is writing to a younger pastor and he's giving him the qualifications for elder or overseer or pastor. Those three words are kind of used interchangeably. They mean basically the same thing. And so listen to what it says in First Timothy chapter three. It says, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. And then he goes on down. He gives you these, these qualifications. But the question was, what does Paul mean when he says they're husband of one wife? He says it both in Timothy and in Titus. What is he getting at? And so part of the question was, what does that mean? Does that have to do with polygamy? Divorce and remarriage, what does that look like? What is he saying? And so what I think Paul is getting at when he says that, husband of one wife, and he gives that, that he's talking about a man who has not been divorced and remarried. And I'm going to explain to you why I say that. The first part is the question of polygamy. 
Was that normal in Paul's day? It was very, very rare at that time when Paul's writing. It wasn't really a big question. It wasn't rampant. And so for him to give that qualification, thinking of polygamy as the answer, most every scholar agrees that's not the case. That's not what he's talking about there. And so then the next question is, well, what about a man who's uh, widowed and then he gets remarried? And I don't think he's talking about that because the Bible is very clear that if that is the case, if you're a widower and your spouse passes, you're free to be remarried. And it tells us that very clearly in Scripture. Even Jesus' most stringent um, stipulations about marriage, where he says what God has joined together, let no man uh, tear asunder. Even in that definition and what he says, that would be different in the case of the spouse passing. And so what that leaves is divorce and remarriage. And so when you start to look at what the Bible says about divorce and remarriage and what it tells us, it gives us two explicit categories in which divorce and remarriage, divorce is a biblical divorce, we often say. And the two categories are this. The first category, as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 19, is if your spouse is unfaithful sexually. He gives that as the one caveat in there, the way he talks about it. He says if a a man divorces his wife and remarries, that he's committed uh, adultery, except in the case of sexual immorality. That's what Jesus says there. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the second category that Paul gives is abandonment. If you're divorced and you're divorced because your spouse has abandoned you and has left, he says you're no longer bound and you're free from that. And so it seems to give us that category in the case of abandonment. Now, there's one other category that most theologians, most Christian theologians agree on, and I agree with. It's kind of a third category that's there, and it's really an argument not made from clear command like those other two, but more from inference. And the third category is in the case of physical abuse, when the person is in harm's way. It seems to provide for a category for the third one in that. And so in those, you have three categories, which the Bible says divorce becomes a biblical divorce. And it's explicit in that. But what Jesus says very clearly is outside of those categories, that if you are divorced and remarried, and it's not a biblical divorce, and you're remarried, Jesus says you commit adultery. And those are his words. He says that in Matthew and in Mark and in Luke, and he says it very clearly and very plainly, and that's what he tells us. And I'm going to tell you what the Bible says on marriage and divorce is a hard and heavy line. It is very clear. And as I say that, and as we think about what that means, I think that's what Paul has in mind here when he talks about eldership, husband of one wife. I think he's talking about that's the case. Now, the question comes is if it's a biblical divorce, is it possible to then be in that role as elder? And I think it is. I think there is some, some leeway of that. I'll talk about that in just a second. But before I do, I want to say this very clearly. Divorce is rampant in our culture. It's all over. And as we sit here, I know some of you have been divorced and remarried. And if you go and you look at the, what it says in Scripture, you may have been divorced and remarried, and it doesn't rise to biblical divorce. And you may be sitting here today, and you go, well, I got remarried. And I got remarried and I didn't follow what scripture says. And now I'm in a marriage that Jesus says would be an adulterous relationship based on what scripture tells us. And if that's you, I want you to hear very clearly what the Bible says. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And so if that's your case and that's your story, your story doesn't end there. God is gracious 
and he is good and he is loving. But I would tell you, if you've never thought about that, you've never really come to what scripture says, that you go before him and you confess your sin, that you didn't follow God's design for marriage. And Jesus says he will meet you there and he will give you his forgiveness. He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And if that's the case, then you honor your spouse where you are right now. And you love them the way that Jesus has loved you. And you continue to seek that the rest of the days of your life. And you live in the joy of the forgiveness that you have in Jesus. And it's important that we hear that and that we know that that's true, that we can be forgiven. But what about the role of eldership? What do we do in that case? What if the divorce is biblical grounds? And I think the way Paul talks about it and the way scripture talks about it, and if we land in the center of biblical tension, I do believe that there's those that in a biblical divorce in those ways could be an elder in the church. And I'm going to give you two examples. One, I had a friend years ago. He's a pastor for many years. He's a faithful pastor for a long time. Uh, loved his wife and his family really well and found out that his wife had been unfaithful. And he sought reconciliation and they went through counseling and he did all these things and they continued for many years, but then found out she could continue to be unfaithful and it happened again and again. And then finally she left him. She said, I don't care. I'm going to go off with this person. I'm done. And I think he did every single step of the way what he was called to do. And he had both grounds, abandonment, and sexual immorality on her part as he continued to be faithful to God. And after that, they ended up getting divorced and he got remarried. And I look at his situation as he seeks to love his wife now and the things that are there, and I think he possibly could be an elder in a church again. As he sought to do everything that God called, he had biblical grounds in that, and he continued to be faithful in it. And so I think he could. I'm not saying he should. I'm not saying that it's a clear case. It may not be wise, depending on the situation and what's happening, but I think he could. The second one I'll give you is a friend that was an elder for years that served faithfully as an elder. And his story was when he was early 20s as a young man, he was not a believer. And he got, remar- he got married. Uh, that marriage lasted a few weeks. He went off to war, went off to Vietnam, came back, and his wife was gone. And she had a new guy and a new situation and had left him and moved on and they got divorced. And he was not a believer. And about five years later, he met his now current wife and they got married and they both became believers and they have since been married for 40 plus years. And they sought to honor God in their marriage and he, is, he meets all the qualifications that Paul lays out here for an elder above reproach and a kind man and he's done all these things. And so you go, well, could he be an elder now? Is that a biblical grounds? And I think he could. I think when you see the things that Paul lays out here, If you were to go back into Paul's history and before he was a believer, he wouldn't meet the qualifications of an elder either. But after his relationship with Jesus, it happens like once a month. I got to stop wearing this watch. But as he does that, right, like in that, that God has made him a new creation. And so you see Paul is now an elder in that and what that looks like. Now, again, that doesn't mean that they absolutely should be, but I think there could be in those grounds. And so when you look at what the Bible says, I want us just to see very clearly. Divorce and remarriage is an important thing, and that's the background here of what he's talking about with eldership. And we want to honor God in all of our relationships. And the Bible tells us very clearly that marriage is there to show Jesus' love 
for the church. And that's what we're emulating in marriage. And we want to seek to love our spouses in the way that Christ has loved us. But we are sinful, broken people, and we live in a difficult, sinful world. And if you've blown that in some ways, rely on the grace of Jesus in your life. Confess your sins, receive his forgiveness, and continue to be faithful where you are. Now, last question. It's a big one. Not that those are not big ones. These are all big ones. But this last one, the question was just simply, what about the passages in the Bible that seem to suggest you can lose your salvation? Can you lose your salvation? Can you be a regenerate believer that has come to faith in Jesus, that has seen the truth of who he is, that knows him, that's indwelt by the spirit and then fall away? Hear God's word. The answer is no. Jesus speaking in John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I don't lose any. No one can take them from me. I give them eternal life. I'm going to bring that. Paul writes in Romans chapter eight, what we often refer to is the unbreakable chain. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become formed to the image of his son, that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So we refer to as the unbreakable chain. Those who he predestined, he called, he justified, he glorified. That each step of that way, the next is following because of what Jesus has done. What shall we then say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us. How will he not also freely give us all things? Or you can go to Philippians chapter one that Mike read to us for the call of worship. And there in Philippians chapter one, verse six, the apostle Paul says, I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work and you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. So there's a question, can you lose your salvation? No. So what about the passages like in Hebrews that talk about falling away? There's actually two times in Hebrews it says that. In Hebrews, it talks about take care brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And you go, well, what does that mean? Or in Hebrews chapter six, for it is impossible in the case of those that have been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to be restored again to repentance. And you go, whoa. He talks about people falling away two times there in Hebrews. So what do we do with that? Is the Bible in contradiction of what it says in these things that Jesus says, I am going to complete this work in you. And then it giving us those warnings about falling away. And so when you read through the book of Hebrews, I'd say the book of Hebrews, the big picture over it is it's a journey from weariness to rest and a people that are being persecuted and struggling and wrestling with the hardships of the world, and they're journeying from weariness to rest, and what the author of Hebrews is saying, and the only way that you truly rest is you turn and you look to Jesus. 
the author and perfecter of your faith. You fix your eyes on Jesus above all else because Jesus is better than everything else. And that's the book of Hebrews. Chapter after chapter after chapter. But there are pieces in there where it says, and be careful. Don't become dull of hearing. Don't you start to just become ho-hum about the glories of who God is and what he's done for us in Jesus. Don't you start to, as it says there, have an evil and unbelieving heart leading to fall away. And so you go, well, what do you make of that? And I think when you read through the book of Hebrews and you put it into context and you look at each one of those passages and everything that the author is saying there, when he gets to those passages and when he talks about those different places, it's a language that's not talking about the regenerative. The person that's regenerated, that is now a new creation in Jesus. Right? When you read through in chapter 6 and it talks about those that tasted and they saw and they were around it, it gives us this language of someone that's been around the things of God for a long time. They've heard about it. It sounded good. They're around. It, it's kind of like when I ask people, I meet people regularly as a pastor and they say, what do you do? You know, well, I'm a pastor. And I get, I say this all the time, I get their spiritual resume immediately, particularly in the South. Almost always. Not, not every person, but usually. And people go, well, I'm a believer too. And I go, great. Tell me about that. And I go, my granddaddy was a pastor. And I go, okay, that's awesome. What does Jesus mean to you? Well, I went to camp when I was a kid. Okay. What does Jesus mean to you? Well, I went to this short-term mission trip. And they start describing what it's like to be around the church, to be around the things of God. But then there's sometimes, and I've, I've said this before, I remember many years ago going to visit a, a lady here in the church right when I started, Marilyn Mason, that lived right around the corner. And I went and I sat with Marilyn Mason. And we were talking about relationship with Jesus. And when we became a believer, and I said, Marilyn, tell me about when you became a believer. And she got this smile on her face. And she goes, oh, I remember so clearly the day I met the beloved. And I went, oh, she's not talking about being around the things of God. She knows who Jesus is. And she told you what he's done for him. And she starts to talk about the grace of God in her life and what that looks like. And I think what you get in those passages in Hebrews where it talks about falling away and those things are people that have been around the things of God. They've had... They've been in the church and they've been around Christian things and they have Christian language, but they don't yet know Jesus. And the Bible talks about that at different times. Those that are around it, right? Jesus gives the parable of the sowers and he talks about those that go out and they spread the seed and some of the seed falls on the rocky ground and it pops up real quick, but then the sun makes it wilt. And some of the seed, the birds fly and they take it away. And some of it finds good ground and grows and fools. And he talks about the gospel going out. And he gives you those different categories. But in that parable, the one that takes ground, takes root and grows is the only one that's a believer in that parable. But all uh, several of those others would have said they were. Or you get to Matthew chapter 7 and Jesus is talking about those that are going to stand before him. And he says there's some that are going to stand before him and they're going to say, didn't we do miracles in your name? And didn't we proclaim and say all these things? And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. And you go, whoa, what is that about? And I think it's the people who have been around the things of God, but that don't really know Jesus. And you go, well, how do I know that? How do I know I'm not one of those people? 
How do you answer that question? And I think in every one of those categories where it's someone that doesn't fully know Jesus, they're talking about the things around them. Talking about what they do and where they've been and what it looked like and all the things instead of who Jesus is. And so sometimes we can start to struggle with that. And you start to go, well, I don't know that I'm really a believer. And almost always when I start to talk to somebody about that and they go, but I don't read my Bible as much as I want to. I'm so busy and I don't read my Bible and I haven't really shared my faith and I'm not doing these things. And they start to lay out all these things that they feel like they're not doing. And they go, maybe I'm not a believer. And so please hear me. If you're wrestling with that and that's where you are and you're feeling that way, the fidelity of your faith doesn't save you. It's the object of your faith. It's not you and your performance. It's Jesus and what he's done and nothing else. You are saved by what Jesus has done for you. And it's putting your trust in him and him alone. And as you do, he begins to remake you. And you will not be the same person that you were last year, next year. Doesn't mean you'll be perfect. It doesn't happen overnight. You don't put your faith in Jesus and then suddenly everything's great. Little by little, he continues to move you from one degree of glory to another. But he who began a good work in you is going to bring it to completion. And if you start to put your faith and your trust in your performance, you're in trouble. Right? That's the whole of Hebrews. Look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. He's the one. And you trust him and you continue to cling to him in all things. And he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And so can you lose your faith? No. Sadly, we live in a place where there's a social gospel, where there's people that are proclaiming the faith in Jesus that have never met him. And when that's the case, and when you hear that, and people are talking about those things they've done or been part of or seen, you keep asking them, who's Jesus to you? You keep pointing them to the one who's done the work that we can't do. The one that's finished the work for us. It's him and him alone. You are saved by grace through faith in what Christ has done, and it's all his doing. We just, we just sang this morning, Lord, I need you. You're my one defense, my righteousness. It's only you, you and you alone. Be reminded of that. And as you do, and as you fix your eyes on him, he will continue to change you. And you will see his work in your life, but it's all what he's done and nothing else. So would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel that you have done for us what we could never, ever do for ourselves. I pray that when we wrestle with those things, that you would come that the Holy Spirit would move in our life, that you would show us, you tell us you come in our life and you glorify Jesus. And so when we have those thoughts that are pulling us away, that are leading to doubt, that you would remind us that our faith is in Jesus and what he's done, that he has finished that work on our behalf, that you would help us to see that clearly and fully and completely today. We thank you that you are at work. We thank you that your grace is sufficient in all things, that you are over and under and through all of it in the areas where we struggle the areas where we've made mistakes, where we've not followed you, but that you come and you tell us to come to you. All who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. God, we thank you for the rest that you give us in Jesus and what you've done for us in his name. And we pray all of it in his precious name. Amen.